What would it look like if we could release the true potential of philanthropy to change the world? Why isn't that already happening right now? And what can we do to break through to release that potential on behalf of people and the planet? This is the Philanthropic Quest from philanthropicquest.com. I'm Pam McAllister, and today Jim Lord will start to answer these questions by taking a good look at the significance of this work that you do, what's getting in your way, and the surprising place those obstacles are coming from. Better yet, you'll hear how you can set the stage for a breakthrough of your own, and how simple this can be when we strip away the complexity and focus on the essence, the heart of the raising of money. Jim's more than 40-year professional journey has taken him to the inner circle of leadership in this profession, teaching and consulting with organizations of social good around the world, and completely out of sight as he's worked directly with volunteer leaders and major donors. I can promise you'll find his insights out of the ordinary. Stay tuned. Thank you, Pam, and thank you for uh, being here with me. Potential, possibilities, that's why you're doing what you're doing, right? Because you saw the potential in the organization you work with. I mean, really, the potential and what it stands for, the cause that you believe in. Now, you may or may not have that feeling right now, that sense of potential. Sometimes uh, we have to admit it disappears in the day-to-day of meetings and reports and phone calls and emails and so forth. Life can get cluttered up with all kinds of trivial stuff. And then there's the people who don't get what you're trying to do or the structure of the organization or its culture all making it harder. It's supposed to make it easier, but often can make it harder. Don't I know it? I mean, I've been inside as a chief development officer. In fact, uh, just yesterday, I was back at that institution to walk around and get back into the feelings I had there, uh, the struggles, the triumphs that I endured. In preparation for talking with you today about this, I thought that could be useful. So for myself and and the gaggles of uh, development people, advancement folks that I've known, We find that lots of things start to get in the way of going for the real breakthroughs that will uh, make the most difference. I mean, if we want to go from ordinary to really extraordinary for your organization, your cause, really for humanity and, and for you personally. So along with the great stuff, this work can start to be draining, but it doesn't have to be. In fact, I think this adventure can be one of the most exhilarating rides of your life. And I'm sure that at times, maybe even at sustained points, it has seemed to be that way. But I believe it can be more consistently and at at a just even still higher level. Trust me, the potential and the energy are still there waiting for you. And they're, they're greater than you realize, especially if you can approach your work with a fresh perspective and new ideas. So that's what we want to talk about. I I do, though, want to appreciate what you're up against. Really, not everyone can do what you do. I mean, think about it. You're in a position where you're called on to influence people, influential people. And that's not always easy to do. You lead leaders. It's a big job you have on your hands and calls for a whole lot from you. And that's why I want to give you all the support that I can. We've got to make it easier and more rewarding 
to capitalize on the opportunity in front of you to be a catalyst for real change in the world, real change for the cause you represent, that you're invested in, uh, and real change for those who support it through philanthropy. You see, you have, from my point of view, you have a chance to be a pivot point, an agent of change in a truly significant way, more than many people ever have a chance to be in their lifetimes. Maybe more than you realize in the midst of the day-to-day. too much on your to-do list and you have a hunch that some of it might not be all that important? Or maybe you just haven't been able to get to the potential success that you see as possible. Well, why is that? What's going on? What's getting in your way? Here's Jim again. First, I want to say these things are not your fault as an individual. It's not some personal failing that creates these challenges. Uh, Part of the challenge is built into your role. I talked about that a moment ago, but it's worth repeating. But there's something else much bigger going on that people aren't talking about and I'm determined to bring out into the open. A lot of what has come to be standard practice in the field is holding you back. That's what I want to say. It's, It's getting in your way. Granted that standard practices work, but the question is, could you do more, better, easier, faster, if you were open to considering alternative ways? Most of today's conventional wisdom about fundraising is really not supporting you in reaching the breakthroughs that you want. It's not supporting you, it's not supporting donors, it's not supporting the causes that you care about. It's getting in the way, in fact, of making the difference we all want to make. Isn't that strange? What I mean is there's been a lot of overcomplication of what we're about. At the core, at the heart, it's a simple thing. We release the built-in human desire to make a difference. Let me say that again. We release the built-in human desire to make a difference. Isn't that right? If we and our practices, even some of our mindset, can just get out of the way and give people ways to do what they're already longing to do, that's when we reach breakthroughs. Lots of techniques and tactics and strategies, however, are being taught as the way things are done. They make your work a whole lot more convoluted, though, than it has to be. This is really much simpler when you get to the essence. Once you get this kind of focus on the heart of philanthropy and the people around you get this focus, you don't have to be pulled in dozens of different directions. And you can make much faster progress toward the breakthroughs that you're looking for. Let me add this, that the rest of my life and uh, the future of the next generation beyond, I believe is inextricably anchored to the degree of success you will have. I ask, would it be too much for me to say that the future of humanity is to a large degree in the hands of those who get to toil in this vineyard? Well, let's 
let's take a closer look at this idea of conventional wisdom. After all, it helps to understand how we got off track if we're going to get back on. Where do we get our professional norms? How do we learn the way things are done? Well, one way is by listening to the people who've been recognized as experts and reading their books. Now, it's been more than 30 years since Jim wrote one of the very first books in the field, The Raising of Money. That slender blue book for board members has been quoted so many times in the years since, often without any attribution, that its insights have become part of the fabric of the profession. Even though many people who've entered the field more recently don't even know of it, they know the ideas that were in the raising of money, or at least some of them. Here's Jim with more on how professional norms get established and what that means for our work. You know, there's a joke you've probably heard where one fish asks another fish, how's the water? And the other fish answers, what the heck is water? It's easy to become so used to what's around us that we can't even see it anymore. We're not even aware of our surroundings because they're so familiar. And that's what professionals can slide into, an easy familiarity with the conventional practices of the field. What you hear at conferences, that's what I mean. What you hear in professional settings. I mean what you read from the experts. You soak it all in and it becomes part of you. The conventional wisdom turns into your familiar, comfortable surroundings. It's the water that you swim in. The assumptions of the field, the unspoken, take-it-for-granted ways of doing things, these all become invisible and unquestioned. But, but where does this come from? Where, where did the experts get their expertise? What I've seen is that they get it not so much from their own experience and their learning and reflection, but from what they've heard other people say, what other people have written. And it's out of their awareness just how most of what they know has come to be constructed and how much of their own experience they've yet to learn from. Pam mentioned how often the raising of money has been quoted. I like to think it's because my writing was just surely brilliant. And I do stand by what I wrote those many years ago. I actually consider myself lucky that what I wrote in my late 20s has proved to be surprisingly durable. Some deep truths that are still too often ignored even now. But I have to admit that another reason for the early influence of that little book and its predecessor, Philanthropy and Marketing, is that it was one of the very first books in the field. At the time, there was very little written in the way of professional literature. So you might say that I'm guilty of helping establish some of the norms for what's come to be called fundraising. I'll say something another time about why I abandoned that word decades ago. And here's where it gets interesting. If much of what you hear from experts and colleagues is just self-reinforcing conventional wisdom, people quoting each other and repeating the same ideas over and over until they're assumed to be true, then how do you know who to trust? How do you know what is true? How can you be sure people know what they say they know? It's a big puzzle for any thinking person, isn't it? For anyone who wants to be really effective, really excellent at what they do. 
it's something that I've been puzzling over my entire professional life. Well, and even before that, I think, how do we know what we know? How can we be most effective? Well, I'm getting awfully deep here, more than some may be able to stand, but for good reason. So by now you're getting a good sense of how assumptions get set, how conventional wisdom can turn into the taken for granted, how we can even get into a professional rut. Now the question is, how do we get out of the rut? How do we step back, rethink our assumptions, and set the stage for new possibilities to emerge? Let's listen to Jim again. Just after the raising of money came out, I was asked to be a subject matter expert. That's what they call it for the uh, very first CFRE exam, Certified Fundraising Executives. That's another way that professional norms get established by governing bodies and certifications. And, you know, it's important to me that this professionalization has taken place. Absolutely. But it has a downside, as I've suggested, as well as an upside. What I want you to know is just how surprised I was to walk into that room and greet the panel of experts, even though I had just written the book. You see, I didn't believe everything that others on the panel believed. And as the youngest person in the room, I was just plain afraid to speak up. For example, the premise I've preached, organizations have no needs. I didn't feel that I could argue for what I felt was my personal outlook, believe it as strongly as I might. So I kept my mouth shut. I acquiesced to what I could. And looking back, well, that was the first signal I was beginning to pull away, listening to my own drum, or maybe it was to the donor's drum. It was nearly impossible for me to participate in writing questions that day, those two days, that would test people for the right answers, especially in a field as human and individual as ours. I wanted more room for these individuals and for asking more questions. You see, the one thing I was sure of was there were more questions than there were answers. I think it's dangerous to think that we know how things work, what makes people tick, until one thing happens and then we can begin to know. And that is when we go to the donor, him or herself. We might have some answers, some theories. We might even have some answers that work pretty well in most situations and it can fare us pretty well in our whole professional life. But having too many answers leads oftentimes to a complacency not to breakthroughs. It can lead to cookie cutter, me too, same old, same old thinking and acting. And it does little to distinguish your cause. Is it genuine and worthy of trust? The way I see it, it's much more useful to come from another place, a place of genuine curiosity, to ask insightful questions of the leadership of the profession and the fresh face in this work and the donor, not always believing that we must have the answers. And I want to tell you, it was funny, although a little embarrassing at the time, when um, the old pro Maury Gurren and I lunched next to the Museum of Modern Art, which was his client for a long time. And Maury looked at me with a tired look on his face, asking me, young man, why do you ask me so many questions? 
Well, I asked questions of Art France Reb, of Carlton Ketchum. I asked and I asked and I asked. The professionals, the gurus, and the philanthropically inclined. Granted, this has been a research project with thousands of interviews by me and those who've studied with me, but it's one that's still open. And you, you could actually be a part of it. Your very next visit could be more in inquiry than in presentation. See, for me to cultivate the beginner's mind still now, even after all these decades of experience, that's where it's at. That's the place I want to stand. And I, I encourage you, make space for you to do too. And the most important questions, you know this, they're really the most fundamental ones. The questions that seem too obvious even to be asking. The ones that might get you laughed at at meetings. Way back when I was the youngest consultant hired by Ketchum, I was sitting in a training session one day. Still naive and wet behind the ears, I raised my hand and I innocently asked, why would people give away their money? Now, maybe that got me laughed at, but I don't really care. It's a great question. Really, you'd have to agree with me, I think, that it is the question for us to be asking. And all these years later, even after I've asked that question directly to people who've given away fortunes and after I've studied human behavior and, and still am, I'm still wondering about it. I try to stay in the place of wonder. Now, I can theorize just like anyone else. I've certainly written enough about it. But I try to stay in a place of curiosity and wondering because this is a question we need to keep asking and never to assume the arrogance of, of feeling that we've got it figured out, especially when we're working one-on-one -on -one with people because we want to be open to what's different about this particular person, right? This, this individual human being with all their idiosyncratic, particular, even peculiar ideas and their distinctive story. Rather than classifying them as fast as we can in some predetermined category that we got from some book we read, even if it's mine. Now, I want to just go a, just a tad bit deeper in this right now while we're talking about this, that the person that we're speaking with, we are often making the assumption that our job is to get from them what their hot button is, what will motivate them, and as if they know it, but are they going to tell it? Do they trust us enough to tell us and that that's what we're trying to work for? I'd like to submit to you that it's something different than that. It's really, and this is what people have told me, that oftentimes they had not thought before the questions are asked what they articulated, that actually their awareness, the beginning of their own transformation, began with that kind of question. Now that's fun and it's powerful. I really hope you're seeing how useful it can be, how crucial it is to cultivate your natural curiosity and the habit of beginner's mind. To be open to questioning every assumption about how we do things around here. After all, without that kind of openness, how could fresh ideas enter in? How can we make real progress? 
Being willing to have more questions than answers is the essential starting place if you're serious about making more possible. Where else might we look for fresh perspectives that would expand the realm of what's possible, fuel our spirits, and take each of us to our next level of success? Here's Jim again. Well, my personal approach was maybe a little bit extreme. You see, some years ago, I just plain stopped going to professional conferences. I stopped reading the growing literature on fundraising, stopped having much contact with my colleagues in the field as much as I liked many of them. Well, except that it was for a few, uh, very few that I selected and invited to my Quest workshops over the last 20 years, where we were working through the, the, these ideas and applying them. Somewhat at the beginning of a more experimental nature, and then uh, looking for confirmation as we worked with it more and more. So uh, the point is, though, that I wanted to take myself out of the swirl of conventional wisdom and find really new influences, new perspectives, new ways of thinking about things. I mean, how else would you find the true heart of this work and the innovation, the social innovation, the, the new ideas, the deep shifts in the way you think, unless you go outside your usual circles? Otherwise, you're just messing around the edges, aren't you? You know, fussing with the details, reinforcing well-intentioned but misguided precepts while ignoring the big assumptions that you, that we really need to be questioning. So except for a few of these courageous experimental organizations, I quit my consulting practice, went into hiding really, and dove into personal and organization development, social psychology, change management, global social change. I uh, studied and worked with some very cool global thought leaders who've become friends, whose ideas were most exciting to me. Apprenticing myself to them, we brought whole systems together focused on the future of an organization or a community where the contributory spirit, the sense of cooperation, was just waiting to be lifted and activated at a new level. So I wanted to understand fundamentals of human behavior as seen from a wide range of different perspectives, different worldviews, even different cultures. I wanted to get to the essence just simply the essence of what our work is about. Stepping outside the profession so we can set aside our usual norms and assumptions is a direct route to new ideas. In future episodes, we'll look more closely at the frameworks we might use to think about this work that come outside of the routine. For now, let's go back to looking at sources of new ideas to inspire us right now. Here's Jim again. While on my learning quest, I came to appreciate just how much can be gained from reflecting on our own experiences and what we can extract from them. How often do you take time to do that? And in a really thorough way, of course you reflect on it from time to time, but it's pretty rare, but always useful to really go about that with some rigor. In fact, however, this is not complex or complicated. You'll find it much simpler than you might expect. Just give you one example. 
we'll be seeing how three professionals sat down with the flip chart in front of them and an hour later, maybe 45 minutes later, had new clarity about what factors were behind one of the greatest contributions that the three of them were involved with and knew so well. It was the first time for them to really examine what the conditions were of that success, which ended up becoming useful as clues for the $3 billion campaign for their world-renowned university. But you know it gets better. These hunches led to their visiting the donor herself to ask her what was behind her act of leadership. And there we find one of the most profound and yet simplest ideas. If you want to know why someone did something or why they may do something, the simple truth is to stop strategizing inside your four walls and go out and ask them. Now I call this the GOAL system, G-O-A-L. This is very sophisticated. It stands for go out and listen, G-O-A-L. I've seen what can happen when we inquire into others' experiences, really hear their stories and stand in their shoes so we can learn from them. To genuinely want to learn. And as long as that's done with our authentic place of standing and with a deep sense of appreciation for the other person, that's something that's fairly rare in their lifetime. I'll tell you that. So I'd, I'd really like to talk more about that. Uh, and actually, I will at another point. But what I want to say right now is that kind of deep inquiry that I'm talking about, the asking of fundamental questions, the beginner's mind, has been just absolutely key to my work with people who are philanthropically inclined. The good people who most often uh, are referred to in the field as, as donors. But let me just take one little aside to that. I, I rarely will say donor. I want to say people. People who are philanthropically inclined as a signal to remind me and others that we're talking about the whole person and not the utility of that person, the instrumentality of that person for an organization's needs or for our sense of satisfaction about our professional accomplishments. Now it's standing in a different place. And back to this thing about having all the answers. I, I, I don't want to pretend that I do have all the answers, but I have gained from those experiences some understanding of hidden dynamics that are going on with people these days that usually aren't known. Why they act and why they don't. Even if uh, sometimes it's only they don't return my phone call or yours. Understanding the human being, the particular human being. I promise you, there are findings in areas that are important to us that you don't even think about. There's undercurrents that aren't talked about, but that are really important to understand if we're to release the energy it will take to move our beloved social sector toward fulfilling its, its true potential. And that's a topic for another time as well, as eager as I am to getting into bringing these hidden dynamics to the surface and show how understanding them can let them work for you instead of against you. As you know, knowledge is power after all. Now, in wrapping up, this may sound like a call to this profession of good folks who get to work with a philanthropically inclined. It's not. It's a call to you personally. 
That is, if this resonates, then you can take this opportunity to see what's possible. And if it doesn't, don't. And I would just thank you for being patient and listening and giving me a shot at it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this first episode of the Philanthropic Quest audio series. We want to give you a place to stand, a place to develop your leadership and influence as you change the world. To make sure you get everything, sign up for free email updates with future episodes, transcripts, special reports and announcements, and much more at philanthropicquest.com.